My name is Jake Stum. I am the executive director of the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. And I have no idea why I'm getting ready to tell you this story, but it just came to mind. So I'm going to tell you this story. It's really funny. So I used to do work in Cambodia quite a bit. I'd go back and forth. And in Cambodia, the, the, the Cambodian word C-H-E-I-K, chake, means banana. And T-O-M is big. So every time I would introduce myself, Jake Stum, everybody would say, oh, big banana? <laughs> yeah, thank you for indulging me with that story. <laughs> uh, but thank you to Fa Father Chase and the leadership team and uh, Frank Woods, who was on our board of directors for a number of years, for allowing me to come today. And I also say thank you to the congregation. You, you may have never heard of the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. You probably have, but what you might not know is that this church has been a long-running partner with ARDF. So all these amazing things that ARDF has gotten to do around the world, you have played a part in it, and I'm so grateful for your long-running partnership, and it means so much to me. Uh, we started planning this trip two years ago. So it, last year, we scheduled me on the Super Bowl Sunday that was in Phoenix. That wasn't going to work. So I've been waiting two years to see your lovely faces, and uh, it's great to be here. So I want to accomplish three things today, and I want to do it in a fairly short period of time. I want to give you a very brief overview of ARDF. Um, I want to preach a homily, and then I just want to share a few stories of some amazing things happening around the world through the church. Uh, so first, I want to tell you a little bit about the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. It's such a long name, uh, so we go by an acronym, and that's the easiest way for me to explain who we are and what we do. So ARDF, the A is for Anglican. We were actually formed on the same day as the Anglican Church of North America. Our charters were filed on the same day by Archbishop Bob Duncan, our first archbishop. And so we are kind of created by the ACNA, but we're a separate 501c3 entity. We don't get any funding from the province, but we are tightly aligned. And we were created to do two specific things, which are the next two letters. The R is for relief. So we do, we, we fund international relief. So if constantly things are happening disaster-wise internationally, that it really would blow your mind of how every day there's disasters happening around the globe. And as much as possible, we try to send relief funding to Anglican churches who are involved in those disaster response efforts. And then domestically, we have launched a domestic response network. So it's our dream that all across the province, there would be people from parishes who are part of our disaster response network. And we would have a whole army of Anglicans in America prepared to respond. So if a a wildfire in here or in California or a tornado in Tennessee or a hurricane in South Carolina. We could send out an appeal and just have people converge on that Anglican church present who's trying to respond to the disaster. And we're so excited about our response network. It's really growing and people are connecting and it's so fun. And the D is for development. So we do international development projects. Every year we have a global council of international archbishops who will help us select a batch of new projects. And it's our responsibility to raise awareness for people to pray and fund and go see and be present with these projects. So this year they approved eight projects for us in October. And I don't have time right now to go through all the projects, but we're and some examples is the church in Angola, the Anglican church in Angola is starting a community center and a girls school in a really hard part of the country where girls are not being educated currently. 
We're excited about that. There's a very arid part of Ethiopia called Gambella where water is a huge issue. So we're helping them do a deep bore well in Gambella, Gambella Ethiopia. We're helping with a vocational training center in Laos and in Laos, Southeast Asia, you can't do any direct evangelism. So we are helping do some evangelism work through a vocational training center. Um, and then there's, there's several more. Uh, we're all excited about those. And then F is for fund. We are a fundraiser, fundraising entity. And our mission is to come alongside local Anglican churches in the U.S. and around the world to provide them with the resources they need to better reach their community for Christ. And so if you can imagine, you know, 85 million strong global Anglicans, that's a lot of churches. And we really want to do a better job fundraising so we can just resource more Anglican churches all around the globe. So in general, that's what we do. I'll stick around after services to answer any questions that you have that are more specific than that. But I'm excited to be here with you today. And now I want to preach a short homily. But first, will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm a, I'm a leadership junkie. Uh, I don't know if I'm good at leadership, but I like to read about leadership. And my education is in leadership. And, and I want to start with three fairly famous leadership axioms or leadership principles from three fairly famous leadership people. Um, and I think you'll see how they tie together. But the first is from uh, a guy named Max Dupree who said that the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. That the first responsibility of a leader is to be able to look at the current situation and objectively define what's happening, which, as you know, sounds easy, but is not at all easy. The second one is from Stephen Covey, who said that one of the habits of highly successful people is to always begin with the end in mind. And then Napoleon brought these two together and said that the leader's role is to define reality and then give hope. So basically, great leadership can kind of be boiled down into just a couple things. That a leader who can objectively say, okay, group of people, this is where we are, and this is where we're going, and we're all going to get there together. And if you know, you know how easy that is to say, but how hard <laughs> it is to get any group of people to, A, define their current reality, because sometimes you have to own up that it's not great. And then to cast a vision and help people see this could be great. And then to pull everybody along together to get to that vision. That's leadership, and that is so difficult. So can the leader say, look, here's where we are. Imagine where we could go. And now we're going to be on a journey together. So we had some great readings today. And I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine with me two of the readings as bookends. One bookend is Matthew, the Matthew passage that we know is the Great Commission. And the other bookend is the Revelation passage. So we're here today living somewhere between these bookends in history. That's where we're located on this journey, somewhere between those two passages of Scripture. And we're living here in this amazing, beautiful, hard, messy, awe-inspiring, terrible, amazing, growing family of God that's unfolding before us every single day. On the one end, we have Jesus giving us our Great Commission. The challenge that he gave the early church that would cause the movement to grow to a global family. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
the other book end. So scholars and historians agree that this commission, we may overlook this sometimes, but this commission is one of the major things that set Christianity apart from other Roman religions during this time frame. None of them were evangelizing religions. None of them were going out trying to convince people to be a part of their particular movement. And Jesus sends this ragtag group of people out, and he defines reality. You know, he tells them you're going to go out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> you're going to be persecuted. This is the reality, but we're pushing towards something. So he commissions them to go out, and he sends them out to go to all the nations. And all that really they were asked to do is to live out what they had seen Jesus doing. Right? They had been around Jesus, and Jesus said, I want you to go and do what I've been doing. Be bold. I'm going to be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit, but keep doing everything you've seen me doing. Bring hope to the hopeless. Include those who are being left out. Pay close attention to the marginalized. Heal people. Deliver people. Literally live out everything you've seen me doing. Now it's your turn. Go and do this. And how long does Jesus ask them to do this? To the very end of the age. So now let's look at the other bookend passage. And I want to read a portion of that again because I find it so inspiring and beautiful. So After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither will they thirst. The, sh the sun will not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, what an amazing vision. And I have to believe that this is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm sending you out, and I'm going to be with you all the way to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you to that. That's where how long and how deep and how wide I'm going to be with you on this journey. So go out, endure the suffering, hold out hope, don't give up, go to the nations, because one day you'll see and experience the fruit of the journey. Now those disciples didn't get to experience this particular end result that we see in Revelation, but in small ways, they knew they were working toward a greater reality. They were slowly but surely introducing people to Jesus and showing people how to live in a godly way. They handed that baton to the next generation, and it made its way through the church fathers and the Middle Ages and the Reformation. And now that baton is in our hands as the church and the people of God. The problem is it can feel so heavy. There's so much injustice. There's so many hard things happening in our world. And why are we doing this? It's because there's a day on the horizon and a vision that we're working toward. It's the other end of our story. And people need to know about this life that will be, but is also powerfully present now and available to them. Because here's the thing about the vision that we cast as leaders. It isn't something that just automatically happens. Right? The ultimate vision, so if I'm a great leader and I cast a good vision, and you want to follow that, you can't just wake up tomorrow and we're there. Right? We have to put... We have to work toward that. That vision has to inspire us today. And so if, if I'm sure Father Chase, I can tell already, like I've never seen a church that's been so active. I'm exhausted just hearing of your last weekend and all that, like this vision 
but this is how you grow the kingdom, right? This is how you plod away and get there. And so this envision in Revelation, it is inspiring. And I do believe that we will see that. But I think that it has to filter its way into our daily activities now. And that's what good vision does. It motivates. I wake up in the morning and our vision of ARDF to resource local churches, it gets me out of bed. Like I know that we have to be better and more strategic and get out there and network and grow our organization so that we can do our mission better. It's not just going to happen. So this amazing vision and revelation of what things will be like isn't something that we just sit around and wait on. No, let, us, let it inspire us now to push as hard as we can toward that vision. We should be inspired to do those same things in the vision now. Alleviate hunger. Give water to the thirsty. Provide shelter for what Revelation says are those in the scorching heat. And wipe away tears from eyes now. And I've already heard about the ways that your church is doing this. I love your playground. I love that the community is coming onto your campus and you're offering uh, ways for them to engage. I love the sign out here that shows all of your, your local and your global partners that you're locking arms with. And I want to applaud you and say, keep going. Like, this is World Mission Sunday, and this is part of the commission. And however you are wired and gifted is how God wants you to be involved in this church. It's not some mysterious thing that you never know and never know if you're doing it. No. If you're, there's a library on campus. And I know a former librarian, Frank's wife, is, is, is managing that. Live into that calling. Um, I heard that there's some people who are sewing something. I can't remember what that was, but whatever you're sewing, keep sewing it. <laughs> keep doing that. It's amazing. Those of you who are representing your local partners out in town, when, when, when the church puts out a call to go volunteer for that local partner, let's all show let, Let's all, I'll come back out from Tennessee. Y'all all show up <laughs> and go. That's part of the Great Commission. It's, it's working toward that ultimate vision now. We don't have to wait to alleviate hunger. We can work toward that now. Let that ultimate vision infiltrate our daily life. And your church is doing it, and I applaud you. So one of my favorite parts of my job is that I get to hear about churches doing this all over the world. So we ask partners that we funded to send us in what, how, what they're accomplishing with funds. And it's amazing. Literally every week, we get some story from partners. And what we've started doing is in our staff meetings on Wednesday, the top of the agenda are, are any stories that we received that week from our partners. And our staff will go through them and read them. And it's just a weekly reminder, oh, this is why. This is why we get to do what we do. And I just want to share some of those. I think it will encourage you, but I think it will also show you how the global church is pursuing this vision of holistically ministering to the nations. Um, one of the projects that I'm not supposed to have favorites, but one of my favorites is in northern Kenya. It's a bishop that some of you may know. He's fairly well known. His name is Bishop Kempicha. And they are doing unbelievable work. And this is a part of northern Kenya that has been through severe drought, severe tribal tension and killings, and serious spiritual darkness. And so it's one of those unique areas of the world where poverty, lostness, and ecological change, like all three of those are overlapping, and it's almost a crushing weight. And Campicha came to America to get education, and he didn't want to go back to that, but he felt a call. He had to go back and be present. And I'm telling you, what they're accomplishing is unbelievable. They've brought peace, the church, right? The church has come in and brought peace. And right now, God, keep it going. There's no tribal killings. They're the ones teaching people how to farm more creatively. 
They're the ones teaching people how to survive during a drought. It's the church that's leading the way and bringing hope. They're, all those things we see in Revelation in that passage, they're doing them now in northern Kenya. And they're providing edu high-quality education. And all these kids from different religions and different tribes are going to these Christian schools to get education. And they are seeing their lives come together and unity happen. And people come to know the Lord all over that diocese. And it's so inspiring to me. We, we, we have funded people in all these wars. So Ukraine, Israel, Gaza. And the reports that we get back, we see on the news the devastation. It's so hard to watch. It's heartbreaking. But then we get these reports of these tiny little churches that are in all these areas that are doing, they were resilient and gritty, and they're living out Jesus in those hard places in beautiful ways, and they're providing protection and shelter and, and prayers and relief, and they're the ones present that are doing this work. They're working that vision in Revelation, protecting people from the scorching heat. They're doing it, and it's amazing. One of my, the funniest, you had, to, you had to be there, one of the funniest stories was I, I was on Zoom with a pastor, and he said, Jake, I, I used to be a bored pastor. I, I'm, I'm in Ukraine, and my job was boring. I didn't know it. didn't know it at the time, but I used to sit behind my desk, and I had a boring job. And then when the war broke out, he felt really called to, be, to take relief aid to the soldiers on the front lines. And so now when we get videos from him, he's in a hard hat and Kevlar, like bullets in the background, and he's just as happy as he can be. And it, <laughs> Like, I don't want to be behind a desk anymore. This is where I need to be. And I'm just so inspired by stories like that. Uh, last week, we had a team of six people. So these are six people from Anglican churches across the province. That somehow, it's a long story, but they heard about this guy named Gus. And Gus was a grandfather raising his four grandchildren by himself. Gus had been in prison for 15 years, but he's been out for about 10 years. He's become a believer. And his house was impacted by tornadoes in Mississippi. And we, again, through the Anglican Connections, heard that he wanted help. It was mainly his kitchen that was devastated. So these six guys and, and, and women, two women, four guys, show up down there with Gus. And they help him renovate his kitchen in a period of about eight days. And to hear his response of just how blown away he was that God heard his prayer and somehow rallied the troops of these people to show up at his doorstep and help him and just how inspired Gus was. That's what we get to be a part of, is God constantly orchestrating these little connections all around the world to care for his people. But we have to be attentive. We have to be listening. We have to be ready when he calls. The last, I could share stories all day. The last one I'll share is we, we funded uh, the, earth, the big earthquake that happened in Turkey, in Turkey, <laughs> on the border of Turkey and Syria. And Syria was very difficult to get funds in. And we, we partnered with Anglican Frontier Missions, some of you may know them, Chris Royer, and he had some connections in Syria, so we were able to like secretly get cash across the border. And this little church there turned their whole sanctuary into housing about 60 people. And they were interviewing the people, and on the interview, the, the lady asked the recipient of the relief, is there any question that you have for us? And the lady, it was translated, she didn't speak English, but she said, I just want to know that why is it when there's rubble, it's only the Christians in the rubble with us? So she wasn't a Christian, but she said, every time we have a disaster and there's rubble, whether it's war or tornado, we look out there and there's always Christians out here in the rubble. And that's because it's what we do. 
That's what the church was built for. That's what we were, the Great Commission called us into the rubble. (laughs) So on one hand, Jesus says, go out. You're commissioned. I'm with you through the rubble. Get into the rubble in the lives of other people. You are commissioned in your spheres of influence, whatever that is. Be bold because Jesus is with you to the end of the age. And go out. Don't be bold. Don't lose hope. Go to your sphere of influence. Partner with other people in your church and these local uh, institutions, your global partners, and lock arms and help resource the church to continue its work. Let's spread this news to the entire globe. Let's live the way of Jesus in the presence of everyone we encounter because we're on a mission. We've been commissioned for this. The other bookend promises that we will be gathered up with others one day who journeyed through this difficult life with us and the lamb will be in our midst. And in the meantime, Jesus gives us his authority and he sends us out and he promises to be with us. So that same Jesus is powerfully, powerfully present with us right here today. Our current reality is that we've been commissioned to face this world of tribulation. We're equipped with the presence of Jesus and we know where we're going. So let's lock arms with AAC members are here, ARDF, your local partners, your church, the people in your family who are struggling that you almost want to give up on. Let's go wherever God sends us and know that he's with you and know that we are pushing ahead to something very beautiful. And let's do it together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for the lay people. I thank you for all the ways that they are growing and pushing ahead into this world, living out the Great Commission. And I just pray that you would just allow every person here to be more aware, Lord, of your presence, of how powerful you are present, of how powerfully present you are, and to have our radars, uh, our, our, our antennas up, our attention focused, maybe more so than ever, of what it is that we can do to be out on your commission. It could be something so small that nobody ever notices, but it's what we're gifted to do and it's what we're called to do. Lord, would you help us together to alleviate suffering, to introduce you to people who are far from you and to bring your hope to our world locally and globally. In Jesus' name, amen.